Crick Club, where we're discussing Criterion Channel movies that we pick independently and try to see if they are good or not. My name is Peter, and I'm joined by Angela. Say hi, Angela. Hi, Angela. <laughs> and Chris, or Wizard. Wizard Chris. Uh, hello. And Corey. Hello. Yes, uh, so the, what we normally do things is one of us, we take a random, one of us, we take turns to decide the movie that we all are going to watch uh and it's should hopefully be one that none of us have seen so we can all go in blind and therefore there's no judgment if it turns out to be a very terrible movie that we all absolutely hate it was my pick this week and i picked the australian new wave film the plumber from 1979 from uh, the Peter Weir film, Australian director Peter Weir, Weir, probably most famous for The Truman Show, but he also did Witness with Harrison Ford, uh, and a bunch of, well, he did uh, Gallipoli, launching Mel Gibson's career the year Ooh. after The Plumber came out. Um, and essentially I picked this because Criterion, the Criterion channel put up a bunch of Australian, they had their programming this month for August was to highlight Australian new wave film, which I am just really in uh, ignorant about and kind of wanted to dive in and see what some of this was all about. Um, and I picked the plumber because, uh, because the first line said it's a 1979 Australian psychological thriller film about a psychotic plumber who terrorizes a grad student, which just really uh, hones into my specific um, sensibilities, I think. Uh, and and I don't know, I don't want to say what I think about this movie so much. This, this film is exactly what that line says, more or less. But it's, it's uh, an hour and 17 minutes. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot to unpack in those hour and 17 minutes. And so I think I'm just going to throw this wide net and ask you all, what did you all think of Peter Weir's 1979 film, The Plumber? I just want to say, before I give any opinion on the film, I'm glad that we watched this because Peter Weir is a director that I've seen a number of his movies, but didn't even know that he existed as a director. Like, yeah. it's just one of those where like, yes, I've seen The Truman Show. I've seen it many times, actually, probably. I've seen, you know, The Witness. That was a movie. Mm -hmm. um, but I never like dove in to see like who the director was. So uh, it was good to highlight this person, you know, I, instead of just assuming that, you know, Kristoff was the director of Truman Show, it's like, oh no, it's actually Peter Weir movie, so. So what'd you think of The Plumber? So now that you know that he's a director. I spent the entire time watching The Plumber, um, wondering what Angela was gonna say about The Plumber. <laughs> that's, not, that's not an answer to this question. Did you really resonate with you? Did it not resonate with you? It sounds like it really didn't grab you or... Oh, no. I think that it was um, definitely effective okay. uh, in creeping the viewer out and making them feel... I felt harassed watching this movie. Yeah. I, I have a lot more thoughts, but I don't, I don't want to be... Um... Well, let's answer the question that you had throughout the entire movie. Angela, what did you think of this movie? So this was a hard movie for me to watch. I started watching it and ten, seven minutes in, I had to turn it off because mm -hmm. it was exhausting, just those first seven minutes. Um, and, that, and that was just because of, um, it reflected in, a, in cinema, something that I have to live with every day. And it's the overwhelming uh, uh, sexism and um, patriarchy yeah, and it's just completely, it's part of the, the terror of this film. Mm -hmm. And um, making it even worse is that I was in a relationship that was not necessarily an equal relationship, maybe not even a healthy relationship um, that mirrored both the plumber and the husband. And it was just, it was hard to watch um, until the end. Uh, yeah. But um, like, I feel like if I had watched this movie when I was younger, I may have saved myself from some serious life mistakes. But um, I think even at that time, 
um, I wasn't very aware of patriarchy or really had a fleshed out understanding of feminism. So I would have just probably written this movie off in the various ways that uneducated women do who deny feminism. But it's terrifying. I mean, it is terrifying to be a woman, right? Uh, just trying to do her work in her own home or just trying to move about your life because um, you're constantly bombarded with like, there's one scene uh, where she's just trying to get out of an elevator and there's this guy like with her ar that, arm. Yeah, and I'm like, definitely yeah. caught that. But I wanted uh, more of that stuff. I wanted more yeah. things like that where it's like, ah, I see what you're doing. Oh, I felt like there were tons of those. I felt like no, there were actually all, a number of those things. Everywhere. You couldn't yeah. escape it. And that's why I had to, like, I stopped again. I had to stop multiple times because I'm living this even now. Like, it's an even now. It's an extremely claustrophobic movie. Yeah. It's an extremely tight movie. Even, even cinematographically, uh, like there's so many tight shots. You are very close on people's faces. You are very, people are very close within their own spaces to each other. It's a very really claustrophobic outside. movie. And like yeah. even, even on like one of the shots where um, they are outside, the husband is like running to go to his meeting or whatever. And it's like, it's raining. So right there, that's oppressive. And then the, the shot is like framed with like um, umbrellas, like four or five umbrellas that frame the top of it. So it's like, even when you're outside, you're still feeling boxed in. Wizard Chris, what did you think of this movie? Um, you know, I have a lot of feelings about this movie, which we'll sort of get around to. Um, overall, I liked it. It was entertaining. Um, it was like a tight and enjoyable, what is it? It's an hour and... 17. 17 minutes. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, something. Maybe there are things that I don't understand about Australia, or maybe something got lost in trans... Not translation, but maybe, maybe I looked at this the wrong way. Um... But like I, I almost rarely had like a sense of tension in the movie. Hmm. Um, the whole the whole time I'm watching it, I was like, nobody behaves like this. Even in the heightened reality of like a film, even in the heightened reality of a horror film, like the first thing he does is he comes in. He's like abrasive and rough in that like working class kind of way, and then he takes a shower in their bathroom. Like it doesn't it like immediately goes from like, okay, this guy is like, like off-putting to this guy is straight up bizarre. And nobody, and as far as I could tell throughout the entire film, she is the only person that experiences this. And yet his behavior is so bizarre that you're like, how has this not, how has this never come up before? Um, at some point I was expecting a reveal that like, oh, like he murdered the plumber and or like he's like, He's he's wearing his face Hannibal Lecter style or something like that. And that never comes. And he's just this bizarre like jester character that's whole whole purpose in the movie seems to be this like caricature of working people um, that exists to like upset this this middle class lady. And, you know, there were moments where I was with her and I was scared, too. And I was like, he is this is bizarre, but I don't know. I just, because I couldn't, because I never found him credible as a villain, it was hard for the movie to, to be suspenseful. Until, yeah, until she screams, bloody plumber. Um, <laughs> bloody plumber. So, so I, so, okay. uh, uh, so I loved this movie. Um, I, I really, uh, I, which isn't a surprise. Like I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, and, and like sort of as it was going, I was like, okay, this is just going to be some sort of like home invasion. Like, and I was like, and I, I think I had a similar experience to you, Angela, of feeling like I, I'm like never comfortable watching like a home invasion woman being tormented movie. Like I've seen plenty of them and they're always, I always feel like they're pretty boring because they're also samey and they're like, watch this woman be tormented. Um, but like this... But this just like, uh, there was one description I saw of it that called it a black comedy. And I thought that was so spot on. Like I laughed so much. Like I like not, I didn't laugh so much. That's very untrue. But like, I found so like it, like this movie really rides this line. Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say it like, because, but I also think that this movie is like, 
I can see the cinematic history, the pathways of this movie. And I think this movie stands right between, uh, and Angela, we were talking before we were recording about you saying it was ahead of its time. And I very much think that it is directly a product of two Rowan Polanski movies, both Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion, which I, I love Repulsion. Repulsion is an incredible movie. Um, but like, I think this movie straddles the line between both of those movies being women women trapped in claustrophobic situations with no one paying attention to their their paranoia or suffering or whatever like that and this movie also reminded me of mother of like darren aronofsky's mother and i'm not sure if either of you saw that like this movie like and this is what you're like chris like i think this movie gets it's not so much black comedy as it really rides the line between absurdism like it really gets absurdist in a way that like i was like oh now i know what you're doing when this man starts when this man comes through her roof like uh, right. like in the ceiling i was like oh this is what this movie is nowhere is safe but this is exactly. like throwing down all like these bounds. like it was, it was terrifying to me but also like thrilling in its absurdity i was expecting it to go further and further with the absurdity i, I was expecting the, the the plumbing construction to seep mm-hmm. out of uh, yeah. the bathroom and start seeping into the other rooms and like Maybe and I'm glad it didn't. Okay. Like to me, that was like to me. I like, I thought that was like I thought it was a very finely honed hour and seventeen minutes. Like I think like it was like really reined it in, and I think it could have sprawled, and maybe it could have been better for it. But like I don't know. I'd like I'd like to see like the Cronenberg remake of this, where like <laughs> construction takes on an organic quality, and like the house starts becoming bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, and it's a different movie for sure. But. Well, there's there's a scene in it, like the shot where he's playing the guitar, um, which I don't like, know. I, I, I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the it, that when people say that it's a black comedy, that's the scene that I think of. Yeah. Um, and but it's like he's you know up on the sink or the toilet or whatever, and there's just all these pipes that are going around, and he has this you know the thing around his. He looks like a spider in a web, like with. Yeah. Um, harmonica holder being like sitting on top of a pilot oh, that's good that's like, a good visual no i like i was i i like I, I there's another movie and god help me i'm going to remember it after we finish recording because i spent the whole movie Corey spent it wondering what angela's thinking and i spent it like what is the what is the movie this reminds me of because there is that even from the very beginning i was terrified as well because it's it's this because the situation was so realistic to me of like, oh, the plumber says he's got to be here. Like if somebody knocked on my door right now, like, I don't know, like, I guess. And and then like, he's very quickly becomes like unpredictable. And like, there's even a shot of like him sort of pacing sort of back and forth as he gets wound up a little bit. And I just felt trapped there with her. It was, yeah. And so I felt very terrified and caged in, in the same way. So, what you know at the beginning of the film she talks about this time where she was in new guinea and this guy occupied her hut and for like a whole day and Mm -hmm. she felt threatened and he didn't leave until she dumped a bowl of goat milk on him yeah and then he he cried like a child and to me when i was thinking about this and processing it later just kind of doing you know you're washing dishes and something else hits you and it made me realize that actually Peter Weir is telling a story where he's using the sexism and misogyny to actually say something more broad about colonialism. Because essentially, we're all inhabiting the house of, of at least in, in Australia, uh, and here uh, in Native Americans, in Canada, First Nations, in Australia, Aborigines. So it makes me wonder if this is how it feels for indigenous people for us to be occupying their house and that there is nothing that they can do, that the absurd will happen and it's inescapable. So I find it a really clever movie because it it plays on all the things that are really, that we accept as injustices um, and takes it to a whole nother like uh, subtle level and it kind of blew my mind by the end well, of it. And I don't want to watch too much into this or read too much into this, but I don't think it is. So, and I did some research about, so her husband, who is a terror, like the villain, like one of the bigger, like if Absolutely. not the villain. Like, he is terrible. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, he's awful. 
but he's researching. Oh, I, f- I forget what it is. It Ko- Kubu Koguru Kuru, and I looked that up, mm-hmm. which is like this disease that indigenous peoples in Papua New Guinea found from cannibalism. There's a specific strain that caused them. It's called the, to die. It was a degenerative disease, and match because there's so much about class in this obviously and a lot of it some of it's even a little heavy-handed of like the the laborer versus the grad student but like thinking about it in terms of this cannibalistic disease and what you're talking about it and like you know these like invaders these like whatever eating each other like in the ways that they very much do this is like there i think there's a very good parallel between cannibalism and grad student versus tradesperson who will win I say this I say this a lot about a lot of movies, but cannibalism was my big takeaway, that like class cannibalism thing. Um, yeah, the idea that we, it is a tight movie and the only time we really spend outside of the apartment is at the obviously villainous, uh, obviously, obviously villainous professor's place, um, learning about what he does and then his wife calls and he's like, oh, fuck. Um, but yeah, learning that he is wife has to take care of (laughs) (laughs) learning that he is studying a disease that people get when they eat each other, I think was kind of, yeah, that's when the whole like class message kind of crystallized for me. There's an awkward moment at dinner where she is racist. Um, it just kind of slips out. Um, and yeah, those are the moments where I'm like, okay, like this is like a movie that is trying to tackle, say something about class. Like they live in this this nice apartment on university on campus housing that is decorated with indigenous art Um, and they think it's totally cool that they have these objects but it is always worth asking like where did that come from is it okay that you have this next to that and you know questions of that sort how how do you think the ending um meshes with these themes um so she so she dresses up in her most devastating middle-class white lady uniform (laughs) she is a lady who has been like living in her pjs for ever since she stopped working and she's been fine with that and it's been fine and then the day that she's like okay i'm gonna get this guy out of my life she looks amazing femme fatale Um, femme fatale like and she's like, oh, the watch? I don't know. Her excuse is so flimsy. Like, she knows he's just going to keep at it. Like, I yeah. don't know. It's just gone. And uh, 50 bucks is also gone. Mm-hmm. I was um, going to Chekhov's watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chekhov's watch, Chekhov's pocketbook. Like, um, you see the moment she decides that this is what's happening. And it was delicious. I was with her in that moment because I was like, yeah, fuck this guy. Like, get rid of him. Like, he is. He is a, car- a working class caricature, and I sympathized with that portrayal at times, but he's a pain in the ass and he needs to go. Um, so when like they found the watch in his truck, I was like, yeah, brilliant. Um, and yeah. the look on her face as he is like, hold away is uh, priceless. But if, he, if he is like the you know, colonial or whatever, if we're playing with these, these colonial themes, then the, the ending seems a little too neat for that. It seems well, like- no, they both are the colonial. Like, I mean, like, the, yeah. it's, yeah, like, both the grad student and the tradesperson introducing their own version of cannibalism into the world that they're colonized. See, I, I felt like it ended too quickly and too neatly for mm-hmm. me. Um, I, I, and maybe this is just from like comparing it in my mind to too many other movies or whatever, but I wanted that like, you know, last act of him taking the absurdity to the next level, be that, you know, some terrorist, you know, uh, fatal attraction rampage or something like that or you know boiling the bunny or whatnot like but it just kind of just she just tricks him and then it ends and well well I have a question for you about that though no one because her and so there's also the, the whole theme of like no one believes her her best well, no, I have, her. Her I have a question for you her too was that wasn't the plumber tricking her too she got to a point she tried all of her avenues right she wanted to be believed she but no one was believing her, right? right? Mm. So she got to the point, as many women do, where the only way they can escape the terror that they are enduring is by also committing that terror. And that's why we have women mm. who kill their abusers. Because I, I was so like, this is, okay, because my, my reaction is like, now why, why are people believing her now? Like, if we wanted to stay on theme, because it was the police because it was the police who saw who found it and not yeah Uh, but like i have a question for you though corey because like i think it's a really interesting question and i don't and i don't 
disagree that I, well, I don't know if the movie would have been more interesting or not had it taken a more traditional path of like the, the climax, the finale, it keeps getting amped up. But I think there is something possibly subversive about it where that's what she was seeing as well. Like she's like, I know how these stories go too and like cutting it off before it's taken to that next level or something. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to speak for it. I'm not even sure I believe in, believe what I just said, but I think that that's like, uh, I think, I think the film in some ways is a little, uh, could be seen as subversive for, for not going down that tradition. Now shit's getting really crazy. <laughs> now he's taking the cop's gun away and he's charging up the stairs and oh my God. Um, there's a movie there too, I think. Um, but I mean, isn't this kind mother. of how these things it's just called sort of mother. end? <laughs> you know, Have you exactly, seen Mother? And it uh-huh. just yeah. going. Yeah. This just, movie was Mother. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is kind of how these stories end. She says, oh, he stole my watch. And the cops say, well, looks like he did. And that's that's kind of how that goes. Um, at the same time, yeah, the fact that like she's coming from a place where this is the only tool I have is to be like, to pull that poor me card um is is also telling and i think is something that the movie is definitely trying to comment on i think that it's super important uh it's no accident that the only person in this movie who is totally fine and having a great time the entire time is her comfortable middle-class white husband who is like oh man i'm worried about my job the guys at work might not like me or her uh, friend. I mean, yeah, her, her friend. Yeah. yeah, her friend. Her friend is also. She's yeah. into him. Uh, oh she's yeah. Into him she's like, yo, what's up? Um, <laughs> the the scene. But one thing that I want to talk about. One scene. Another scene that I want to talk about is the the scene in the with her friend in like the breathing, like the yoga um, studio, like seeing freaking yoga in 1979 and just like like the same attitudes and the same the whole thing it felt like an episode of portlandia for like half a second um it was another one of those it, like where she we're doing like they're doing like affirmations uh, just after she's been terrorized by this by this scary man um excuse me that's another one of those moments where i'm like this movie is like playing with like archetypes or like there are like symbols here it's not it's not a thriller like you know um it's not a thriller like Hush is a thriller or something like that. There's like again, like Peter, like Peter is saying, like there, there are some abstract like motherly elements to it. So, but I, but I love that because it is, and I agree with you because they're like, join me for a juice, like in the corner or whatever. And her friend like lights up a cigarette, and then like I did find, <laughs> and I did find that as one of those, one of those like, <laughs> there's this meme of that like phallic cactus coming over a wall that's like male opinions I, i've never been able to find it again but i think about that all the time of just like dudes just flopping their fucking whatever into any space they can and like that that scene ends by this dude like loudly clapping and saying all right you clucking hens other people want to use this hall uh, <laughs> i just felt like so cool. much of it is like so much of, of especially the main character of her being herded and corralled and like in in specific ways her space being controlled yeah is a big yeah. theme in the movie for sure um yeah that scene like at first i saw it last during the smoking i'm like oh it's 1979 like people just smoke all the time i was just having a conversation about how they don't smoke in movies anymore and i feel like i have that conversation with people all the time they might be getting tired of it um <laughs> But that moment, like that cigarette in that moment felt 100% deliberate, like pure, again, pure like satire on something that to my understanding is really just getting started. Um, And we're already making fun of like yoga moms uh, drinking wine and smoking cigarettes between sun salutations. I thought that was very funny. (laughs) So uh, I've got several topics that I want to discuss. Um, but I, I'm curious about, because I said my piece on it, and I'd love to hear yours, uh, Angela, of you, you had described this as ahead of its time, and I'd love to know in what way you found it as. I don't know, you know, the more I think about it, um, maybe it's just more reflective of my own ignorance on colonial issues and the more recent um, awareness that we're all having uh, because of Black Lives Matter, not just of um, racial injustice, but just of the idea of colonialism where we've all been taught like, oh, isn't it great that we all went to these other countries and mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, hum- you know, made them more humane or some bullshit. 
when in fact, actually, we've done tremendous injustice. And to me, I see a lot of notes about that. I mean, between that yoga scene where like it's led by a white lady, um, it's all white women, you know, it's the extent to which we're, you know, consuming in the cannibalistic way these other cultures for our own well-being while not she really does, honoring she them. does serve curry to those guests doesn't she right yeah. she's, and it's she's, she's never like, made it's... one for a, a for a what she just kind of yeah. trails yeah. off and everyone yeah. ignores it like it didn't happen um yeah and i laughed out loud again because it really is that kind of movie um, but, I interrupted, but no 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 um no i i think I'm just, I've been more ignorant than I'd like to believe and that this movie talks about things that we should all have been paying attention to for a long time. And um, that's just like, I see it as the larger subtext and what this film is really about more than, um, and, that, and that the injustice is layers upon layers of injustice where like men don't, don't think about women's issues to the point because of that patriarchy and that privilege to the extent that they're also not thinking about how they impact uh, the indigenous tribes of the people that they're conquering. Definitely. Um, uh, but, and that but it's continued on. Oh, sorry. Did you have something, Corey? Oh, but like that, and that's something also I wanted to talk about. Well, there are several topics for us. I think I have to first discuss, but about how specifically uh, I do think the idea of Australian new wave cinema from the seventies and early eighties is fascinating to me. And from what Australian movies I've seen, I really believe it's impossible. Like I, I, I think that Australians, uh, I, th I think they have an extreme closeness to their relationship with colonialism. And so many Australian movies I've seen, uh, there is that ongoing tension of indigenous peoples and their continued mm -hmm. existence in different parts of Australia. And, and this, in the same way that this, I really feel does, I, 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 I think it handled it pretty deftly, especially for the late seventies. Um, and personally, I don't know. And so, I mean, like, I think of like, oh man, if you want to watch something that's going to ruin your day, uh, uh, I recently watched, or I guess a couple, a year ago, I watched, uh, the Nightingale, which was, uh, I forget her name. Uh, the, the woman who wrote and directed the Babadook, her follow-up to that was called the Nightingale, which is just extremely an upfront movie about, uh, the, the Maori people in Tanzania, I think being like actively colonized during that time. Uh, and so, like, I feel like maybe it's just the few movies I've seen from Australia, New Zealand, Tanzania, uh, but, like, it seems like so many of them try to directly confront this tension that is still pretty present. And I didn't know if, if you all have had similar experiences with other Australian films you've seen or... Um, I mean, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, there's a whole section where almost they kind of tie the oppression that... Uh, the LGBTQ community has with the kind of exclusion of um, the Aboriginal populations. Um, I'm trying to think of other Australian films I've seen. Um, I can't remember in particular whether Muriel's Wedding um, has scenes like that. I'm kind of for a rewatch on Muriel's Wedding. Um, uh, but I mean, if I'm thinking about Australian television and some of the big shows that I've seen, I mean, it's really still kind of ignored. Um, but I will say that um, that um, there is a large community of people who are examining these issues and that their university system is robust in a way that I think ours is not in the U.S. Um, so I don't know. And that's just based on my personal experience. Um, I mean, it costs in Australia as much to, f to train a film student at their big school, the um, AFTRS, as it does to train a fighter pilot in Australia. Uh, so there's just like a big, rich cinematic tradition there. And I think the people who are making films there are more concerned about these larger issues mm -hmm. than, say, the general population. Yeah, and that's something I learned about just Australian New Wave in general is that this new wave came about because the government put an emphasis on funding films mm -hmm. in the early 70s and so endowed a lot of money to create, to bring these visions to life. Sorry, Chris, you were saying? I interrupted you. Um, this particular, sorry, yeah, this particular movie, um, like, I do see, I do see that there are, like, elements, like, themes of, like, being critical of colonialism, um, 100%. Um, a lot of that stuff takes place in the background, which I think is interesting. Um, uh, I was just kind of, like, scanning through the movie as you guys were talking, and there are, there are, like, other than the, the 
the her husband's like colleagues who are other than her husband's colleagues there are to my mind i think no characters of color in the film um and that don't appear in like weird documentary footage that feels super exploited exploitative and um and and uncomfortable um but i think that's interesting that like again like the sort of invisibility of people of color in in Australian cinema or in Australian society is kind of like, even while they're commenting on it in this film, you don't see any of those those people in it. Um, the characters of color in this film uh, are, are also comfortable and middle class. And, you know, they, the, the, two, the two white characters in the film seem groovy, except for that one white person faux pas or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's interesting that in a movie that's sort of deconstructing colonial attitudes or something like that there are still no no characters of color no no victims of that colonialism who have a part to play in this in this movie what did you guys think about the plumber uh being a folk star (laughs) (laughs) hit a little close to home too yeah oh my god no uh yeah did you all know about the the sticker on the back of his jacket? I mean, it's just like it's shown a lot. Oh, the the liberals yeah, equals, equals less taxes. Yeah. Right. No idea. Um, no idea what that's about. It was it was one. So I did check, and I'm not sure if it was his wife, but I did see that in the credits that it was uh, the production design was by a woman with the last name of of Peter Weir. Um, yeah, it was his. <laughs> Okay. It was listed in Wikipedia that it was she. She did the production design, and it was stuff like the bumper sticker on the back of a jacket, and the fact that a page of the Kama Sutra was literally thumbed tacked to the bathroom mm-hmm. wall. <laughs> I was wondering if there was some questionable production design choices there, but you know, maybe that's just what they love. They're into it. It's the seventies, yeah, seventies, presumably, but, you know. Well, exactly the seventies. Oh, so what do you like, I mean, I, I feel like over the past two years, I've started to really dive more into seventies films. Uh, Cause I, I feel like it was a decade that I just had not a lot of relationship with. And I'm curious what you all think of its relationship. I don't know, just in films and history in general. Like I, I do really think this has a relationship between Rosemary's baby and repulsion. Um, but uh, I don't know, like this, these sorts of like thought out subtle psychological thrillers seem pretty rare at that time. It, it almost it almost felt like a stage play to me. Mm. Like it felt like the stage was very easily now. adapted to a stage. Um if, I oh sorry Angela go ahead. Oh no no um well essentially like I think in the late 70s there was this whole movement towards more realistic cinema making. Like yeah. I'm thinking of like Easy Rider, I'm thinking Midnight Cowboy um, and uh, Raging Bull. And I feel yeah. like, you know, this is a maybe, I mean, a little better um, because it's a black comedy, but I think it, it fits in with that 70s genre. Mm-hmm. I came away from it with uh, one thing that I wondered, or one thing that I came away from it with is wondering if uh, maybe Jordan Peele hadn't seen this movie before he made Get Out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because it does have those levels, uh, it does have that kind of like, uh, that kind of like you know those levels of like class consciousness and race consciousness um it does have a kind of like slow burn even if i didn't find it as tense as get out there is still like that sort of like creeping dread and maybe that's just reflective of you know the plumber being in that sort of genre of of film um but i'd actually I, if i ever meet him i will ask because i f- i just feel in my heart that he's seen it i don't know why Let's get Peter, get him, get at him. Okay. If he'll talk yeah. to us. Uh, yeah, I have a question though. Like, it's interesting that you said, uh, Chris, that um, that you found it not believable because, but I found it immensely believable. Same. Because mm-hmm. there is a certain casualness to Australian culture to like, and letting people do their jobs and being polite that, mm-hmm. um, all of this was very realistic to me um and um and and that like actually she was put in a more difficult position where she would be in the wrong if she's like well what are you doing here 
Because he's just a good bloke and he just yeah, wanted a exactly. sandwich or whatever it is. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. I feel, yeah, like there was just, there's like a, there's a moment where that could have crystallized for me and I'd be like, oh, scary man. But instead he was just like an, he was an annoyance and like I felt bad for her. Um, but, you know, I, I, almost from the get go, I'm like, this is not a movie that ends in like, uh, her chase him chasing her through through the hallways of this tiny apartment with like a hammer or something like that even though they kept going back to the hammer I was like no I don't think so Peter Weir I don't think it's that kind of movie um, one of the things Frida kept saying throughout this and I suppose that this is a catchphrase of um, uh, my favorite murder which is a podcast that she used to listen to a lot um, uh, but fuck politeness is something that she says that the, the, those, uh, those ladies say all the time. Um, basically is, you know, fuck being polite, ladies. Like, when men are acting like jerks, yeah, call them out, get away, fuck being polite. But it's, yeah, but, but then the time of the 70s and also just now this would be the same problem because I, it was so easy for me to put myself into her shoes. And I, I really mean this. I, like, I'm not exaggerating the slightest that like, it's entirely conceivable that somebody could knock on my door and say like, yeah, they called me in for a plumber. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I guess that's fine. Like, I guess that just happens. And I just, and, and, and so... And so because, you know, because it's, so it was a woman in this position, I immediately like, you know, you, I feel like it, 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 it showed her vulnerability very well. And there's like a very, there's just a lot of vulnerability that you can sense in that. And then, man, that there's something about, and I think it's such a, a loaded and very effective thing of him breaking that first tile of like him taking a hammer to that first tile is just very like record scratchy i don't know there's just something very like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube oh and it's a big like, deal for sure and and um the the just the the fact that like her the lock on her apartment is one of those just like little push yeah. lock yeah. <laughs> such a joke of a lock and like yeah. supposed to keep you safe um I don't know, and I guess that was an intentional thing. There, there are some things. There are sometimes when I um, am reminded that we are living in the dystopia, like we are, you know, living in the, you know, alternate nineteen eighty five when you know Biff Tannen got the um, or whatever got the uh, sports almanac or whatever, and like Trump is president, and there's tons of homelessness, and like just our streets are falling apart and the rich are getting richer. No, we, we do live in the dystopia. Um, that's we're we're in that timeline. And so like my first reaction seeing like the little push lock thing is, oh, isn't that quaint how like, because we now live in the dystopia, we have to have all these major locks, but people actually used to live like this. But then I realized, no, that's also probably an intentional choice. Corey, well, if it well, makes you feel yeah. any better, I got called out for not locking my door yesterday. And uh, I don't mind telling the internet that I rarely lock my door. Well, yeah, Canadians. Come on in, folks. Have a cup of tea. Just don't yeah. chip my tiles. But that's because you're already protected by a closed border. So, you know, it's just can you and Canadians now. I have to, I have, I'm, I have to feel I'm, uh, I might have suffered like a, like a bout of like cis white male blindness during this movie. And as a result, I see it as this, uh, as this like weird, absurdist, like symbolic comedy instead of a thriller. But I think that's okay. Cause I think it's that too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think for me, that whole door lock thing is that it's it's actually locks don't protect us. It's listening to each other and, and that taking was the thing. seriously. He came through the ceiling, and that's yeah. that was yeah. my favorite. That was my favorite yeah. moment of this movie because that was just like everything is off the table now. Like there yeah. is no safe place for this poor woman, and it was just so yeah. so dramatic. Oh, but also so absurd. Yeah. Like he's just. Yeah. I don't. I love this movie. I really did. Like I'm laughing. Oh my god. I mean, what's not absurd to me is that it's completely believable for me because there's something about the Australian people I have known is that if they can't figure it, they will find a way. Like, it's unstoppable. So I, I found it completely believable. And then like, he also oh, yeah. calls it the tradesman entrance, which is like, yes. oof, put that cherry. Right make, a, make a hole. That's, that's yeah. what we do. We just break stuff. So it's funny. I, um, I will say that I, I, I liked this. I, I didn't love it. I did too. I thought it was I liked it. fine. I loved it. Yeah. 
enjoyed I really it. loved it. I did, but... It also made me like, wow, Peter Weir, like, because it's so interesting because the last movie I watched by him was Gallipoli, uh, which I watched, I've mentioned it last time. I watched it a couple months ago. And Gallipoli is this sprawling, very, you know, patriotic epic about Australians, two Australian brother, very, very homoerotic in a lovely way, uh, fighting in World War One, And it's very sprawling and very big and very like, as you, it's a, you know, me saying all of that, you can, you've seen the movie. Like they're, you know, it's, it's exactly what you think it is. War is bad. Sorry, everyone. Mm-hmm. No, don't yeah. mean to spoil it. Um, but like watching this, cause that, that came out in 1980. That came out like the year after this. And it just made me think, wow, Peter Weir is a pretty interesting guy. Like this is a really mm-hmm. fascinating little, cause he wrote and directed both of those films. And so it felt very, I'm glad I got to know him more. Have you seen Master and Commander? No, should I? Very good oh, movie. So good. Very good. Oh my Russell, god. Russell Crowe. Russell yeah. Crowe, but yeah. also yeah. Paul Bettany is in it, and that's just delightful. It's like solid adventure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The music, the score movie. is incredible. The sound design is is. Um, but it's it's. I mean, but I'm I love period genre film, mm-hmm. and this was like I I've watched it easily ten times, and in fact, I'm I'm probably gonna watch it again now. I like I do is like a hardcore recommend of Peter Weir's um Harrison Ford rarely plays unlikable characters and um, I've never seen Witness yeah I should check it out no check out Mosquito Mosquito Coast Uh, they've done two movies together um possibly more but yeah the Mosquito Coast is really really good it is another one of those movies I think it's based on a novel but it has like that sort of like symboly like heavily thematic and heavily symbolic kind of filmmaking while still being very like I'd, I'll say popcorn, but not popcorn as an insult. Popcorn is in like, this movie has like a narrative that's easy to follow and I am engaged in it the whole time and it's not hard to break down and yeah. You sold me. I, I, I was, I've been thinking a lot, like, and I thought a lot today just through watching this and through talking about it because like, because I, and this is the fourth or fifth time I've brought up Rosemary's Baby, Repulsion, Mother, like who I, that I really do relate to all of these because it's very, they're very claustrophobic woman about, women feeling trapped in growingly absurd situations. And the thing that all of them very much have in common is that they're written and directed by men. They're all like auteur projects by men. Uh, and, and so I was like trying to think like, what is, what is a movie that is a similar one that was an auteur version of, of by women? Uh, and the one that comes to mind is um, Kelly Reichert's Meek's Cutoff. I'm not sure if you, any of you have seen that. Um, watch all of Kelly Reichert's movies. She is one of the best living directors in the world. Um, but she, but Meek's Cutoff is like a pioneer tale of like people getting lost in the Oregon Trail. And it's Michelle Williams as the main character. And it's like exactly that. It's exactly the plumber, except the danger is life on the Oregon Trail. And <laughs> the tension is being a woman trying to go along with the Oregon Trail. I, I know. I feel like you're describing every Lars von Trier movie also. Yeah, exactly. And that was another one that came to mind is Lars. Yeah. And, and, and so I don't know. And so like, those are lingering thoughts I have about the plumbers. Like when it comes down to it, this is still, uh, you know, highlighting the torment of a woman for entertainment's sake. Whereas I don't think Meek Shut Up does that. She gets revenge in the end. Like yeah. the last um, shot, like the last shot of her like face. The credits roll over it. I was just kind of like, hmm. It's a little different. Like, so did you see that this was this movie was actually made for television and originally broadcast yeah. on television, like on Australian television? And that, that last shot, that last shot tells place. me that. That yeah. is like a television movie last shot. <laughs> I have to say, though, that last shot kind of made me feel a little bit better about some choices in my life. Oh, yeah. Great. I was with her I mean, then. I was I, like, good job, girl. I was like, um, uh, the only way for me to fight the patriarchy is to fight dirty like they do in some Fuck cases. politeness, yeah. Fuck politeness. Um, I had to, you know, hurt someone I love to get out of a really not so healthy relationship. And I felt guilty about it for like 18 months after. Um, and this movie made me say, you should have never done that. You should have never felt guilty about it for like a second. That's great. So, I enjoy it. Like, I was like, yeah, okay. But at the same time, I understand that she is not like scot-free at the end of this. 
she has become just as much a part of the dog eat dog man eat man society um and that we actually have to stop the stuff that we're all doing so that we don't have to have this injustice we have to change so this isn't an endorsement of her behavior um clearly we would live in a better world if justice prevailed and women were listened to um but um, I now feel a lot better about leaving my first husband for another man because I watched this movie. <laughs> I think that's uplifting as fuck. Mazel tov. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, still married to the, that one. 12 years mm-hmm. going now. Um, do you have any final thoughts? I guess is anybody, unless anybody has any other big topics they wanted to cover about this. I feel like we've done a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we did uh, well for an hour and 15 or what like have you. One Short final thought I have long is long that... Uh, and this seemed like a very intentional decision as well. But one final thought I have is half of an avocado for dinner. Yeah. And like the avocado shell in the sink. I also wanted to mention that. <laughs> I have to think on that more. I like Life that scene actually. Life in Australia seems unusual. Mm-hmm. It is, you know what, at Christmas time, it's super hot. And so you don't have a roast at, at Christmas. You have like beetroot borscht and maybe some uh, prawns. Uh, that were cooked on a barbecue. Wait, where uh, was like I was thinking right? that it was like symbolism, right? Where? Oh no, I don't know what it was. Like, what? Like, what's the symbolism you're thinking? Like, because I just thought it was a weird choice for. I just have a dirty mind. What did you think? Oh. <laughs> was she cutting up some huevos there, like a different kind of huevos? Oh, maybe that's it. Oh yeah. I just thought that it was like an appetizer for dinner and that's a weird little appetizer for people to have for dinner. Well, actually, if you think about it, avocados, actually, I think they are the, the Spanish word for, for testicles. Actually, we might need to have to look that up. Well, huevos is, which is eggs. I don't know if avocados yeah. are as well. Let me look on this. Hmm. Wait, I'm looking this yeah, up. Hold your you horses. You probably know more Spanish than I do. I trust you. Um, avocado. No I know more French, actually. <laughs> Auto-testicles. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, uh, any other final thoughts, yes. as Angela? There we go, yeah. Oh, um, when the Aztecs discovered the avocado in 500 BC, they called it aguacado, which translates to testicle. So it is likely that the texture, shape, and size of the fruit, as well as the way it grows in pairs, inspired the name of avocado. So she had the men by the balls. Just saying. Cutting them in half. Or as I, I could see that. That seems like symbolism. I don't know. Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. I think oh, we got I, to I something here. meant it as a joke more than sure. Um, are there any other final thoughts before Angela takes it away with next week's pick? No. Angela, you've got the you've you the 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 luck of the Irish has landed on you. I'm excited. I mean, I was going to use my brilliant career, but I made a mistake and watched it before I suggested it to the others, um, which was a Gillian Anderson film, um, a period film uh, starring in uh, Judy Davis's first real role. Um, But uh, we're not going to watch that because I watched it. Shenanigans! Shenanigans. Um, But I do ask other people to watch it because I do think it's a remarkable film. It's kind of the same length. It's got a very young baby-like Sam Neill in it that is worth watching just for for fun um so i recommend that movie aside from i am picking because i've never seen it before it is outside of my genre comfort zone i do not like thrillers or scary movies because when you become a mom you have to keep these small children alive and that is an everyday horror show um so i've picked the lore which is a polish film um, about kind of a transformation of the little mermaid story Uh, But in this story, the two Little Mermaids are a sideshow in a strip club. So apparently it's also a musical, if I'm understanding things correctly, and I might not be. Um, But I'm really excited. It's maybe from two or three years ago. I'm keen to hear all of your responses to it. What what are your thoughts just thinking of the title? and the So so fucking excited. It sounds like everything I've wanted in a movie ever. I, just I definitely a poster for it, and it reminds me of the poster, just evocative of the poster of The Shape of Water, which I didn't like. Yeah, it does oh. look like The Shape of Water from that. Um, I keep I it running. I um I try to watch every single horror movie in existence, um, and I keep like a running list of specific ones that I really need to try to make sure and see. And this was on my list. Uh, I looked back, and this was like 
on my list of from a few uh, years ago. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm very excited to finally watch it. Hell yeah. All right. Great. Well, thank you all very much for joining Crit Club. Uh, we rolled a 20 on this one. Maybe bad. next time we Not need bad. to roll. We need to say what our our role is out of twenty, out of a d twenty. What would we? Do oh, that's like our. That's next time. Instead of like, saying who wants to like go first, we should all roll for initiative. Or no, what if like that's our rating system is like one out of twenty, and like we're trying to get a crit, like the perfect one is a crit. Okay, There's got to be at least here. one crit. I like that. That's fun. We can start here. I would not give this a crit. No, no, no. I wouldn't either. Because uh, I, I wouldn't call it a miss either. But like, but like, can you give it a one out of twenty? Like, what's yeah. your one out of twenty? I'd give it a. I actually like. I probably would have given it like a twelve, but having discussed it with you all, I'm going to bump it up to like a thirteen, fourteen. Cool. Mm. Solid flick. Yeah, I'd give I'm it gonna... like a. I'd give it like a fifteen, uh, especially having discussed it. You know. I'm, I'm giving it a, a 17. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write these down. I don't know why I'm writing these down. This is a but, good idea. I'm glad uh, we thought of this. Yeah, I think on on like <laughs> production on Mike. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm definitely giving it a 17. Like, there's it's lacking a lot, but I really loved what it tried to do because it's just so. So there's a lot of DIY beauty about this movie. Yeah, love it. All right, Should 17. Should we retroactively uh, rate totally fucked up? Okay. Yeah, sure. sure. From last week, we listened to Totally Fucked Up. Go listen to that episode. What would you give that score, Corey? That was your movie. That was a crit for me. That Whoa. Was Whoa, we hit a crit early, early on. on. Yeah. I've already watched it twice. Um, I can tell that I'm going to watch it many more times in my life. Like, that was a crit for me. Yeah, um... I mean, if the if the basis if you if we were to go with the basis of like a crit being like I will watch this movie like many more times and treasure it always, I would say that uh, I would say that it was a nineteen. I don't know that I'll watch it again, but honestly, it was it was impactful and I liked that. I'm going with sixteen because like I liked it. It was impactful. I would watch it again, but I'm a low grader. I'm a low yeah. grader. I'm always going to, like, if it's going to be a 20, it better have made me cry in the cinema and made me want to change my life. So Yeah, I, yeah, it, I'm, yeah. I, I will be very surprised if I find a crit during this time. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I'm with you, Angela. I think 15, 16 for me. I don't know. Yeah. 15, 16. Even yeah. with that, I stand by my, my, my giving it a No, no, for sure. No, yeah, it's your, yeah, your no. score. You give what you want. It seems like a Corey crit. It's yeah. a Corey crit, yeah. 100%. Uh, Wizard, what did you say? I don't know why I'm keeping track 19. of this. 19. Uh, yeah, right. I'll, stand, I'll stand by a 19. I'm a high scorer. I get, I get caught up in excitement. Um, great. Well, this was wonderful. Now we have a thing. We actually have more of a gimmick <laughs> that goes with the Crit Club title. Whoa. It'd be very exciting to watch this tighten up and become uh, a ridiculous thing that we do all the time. Yay. Yeah. Um, we'll be in, uh, catch us at Austin for South by Southwest next March. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm here for it. No. Uh, okay. Well, thank you all very much. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Wizard Chris for joining me on this week for Crick Club. We'll see you next week. Watch the lore. Bye.